Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's a Culture Club special. We've been doing these now and again when I was thinking, well, what does a good queer person put in people's stockings for Christmas? How do we educate Auntie What's It? How do we educate our less advanced members of the family? I can tell you how. You get them the queer Bible. I think it's a great idea. Anyway, it's a fab book and it's been put together by someone called Jack Guinness. And he took it upon himself to collate a series of essays by queer heroes talking about their own queer heroes. Queer Bible is a brilliant kind of Instagram account. It started as an Instagram account. Basically born out of the idea that we don't know our queer history, nor are we taught it. So highlighting incredible people from our past, the shoulders on whose... No, the shoulders? The giants on whose shoulders we stand. So there's an essay by Elton John in there on Divine. Gus Kenworthy talking about Adam Rippon. There's Paris Lees talking about Edward Ennefel. There's Munro Bergdorf talking about the film Paris is Burning, the amazing Tam France talking about Queer Eye, and May Martin on Tim Curry. Brilliant, brilliant stories. People talking about their own personal history of queerness, I suppose, and those guiding lights. I couldn't recommend it enough. I read it cover to cover. I think it's fab. And you don't have to listen to me as well. The Oprah magazine said it was an LGBTQ book changing the literary landscape, it says here. Heavens to Betsy. Um... Jack, who put it together, is a very funny, wonderful man. He came to chat to me all about, you know, where it came from and all of that. So that's today's little Culture Club booster jab for you. Have a listen. You're going to love Jack. You're going to love the book. Let me introduce you. Here's my chat with Jack Guinness. I've had a whirlwind kind of book tour, but from my sofa. So, you know, you dream of the glamour of releasing a book and then you do it on the couch and so at one point I went on the Today Show like was live in the studio and then when it finished I just shut my laptop and had a cup of tea <laughs> there was no like hookers and and like fireworks like I imagined it was when I was a boy like you always get on the Today Show well I you know I don't know going going to America <laughs> releasing a book oh you mean today the, the American Today Show yeah I went on TV oh. but from my sofa I thought you meant the Radio 4 show. Um, no, there are no hookers on the Radio 4 show. There are only hookers on the <laughs> Breakfast Today show. <laughs> Listen, well done on this book. Tell us a bit about the context of it, because I remember when you started Queer Bible, which was an Instagram account, right? Yeah, it began life as a website and an Instagram account. So the Instagram, we did loads of 
takeovers by global queer artists. And my thing is illustration. I grew up loving comics, so I'm a real comic geek. Um, so I love the intersection of, of art and culture and history. Um, so the website really started selfishly. I, I didn't want to start a gay history website. I kind of, I, I had to, because there wasn't one that was beautiful enough for our community. And I went online to do my own research about queer history and all the websites were like, um, kind of done with clip art. Do you remember Mr. Clippy, the little Microsoft <laughs> Word guy that would be like, your grammar's all paper wrong. Clip. The little yeah, paper I clip. Him. They looked like he had designed the website and they were all in comic <laughs> sans with like purple font. And I was thinking, yes. the LGBTQ plus community is supposed to be stereotypically the most creative, brilliant community in the world. And all the websites are ugly. We need something as mm. beautiful um, and brilliant as we are. So the websites, it's very textured and rich. It's illustrations and essays where I ask my heroes to write an essay about one of their queer heroes. Simple. And am I right in saying like you you kind of set it up because you didn't feel there was any place where you could learn about your history? Well, I'm not just talking aesthetically, but like it was something that was brushed under the carpet. Well, and that's Yeah, it wasn't just brushed under the carpet. We grew up in Section 28. It was illegal for teachers to promote homosexuality in schools. Well, I tell young people that now they can't believe it. And the word promote is such a abstract term that it left teachers terrified to talk about anything queer so we grew up like many marginalized groups being cut off from our history and that that ignores the fact that for so many lgbtq plus people they voluntarily hide their identity to protect their own safety psychologically and physically like i've done that throughout my life and then you've got other cases where the history books have been written, but people's sexuality or gender expression has been left out of the story. So <laughs> we're screwed, like doubly. It's it's really difficult. And things are changing brilliantly now, and, and you're part of that wave of change. But I really wanted to create a space where our, our intersectionality um, and our history and our community was celebrated. Well, I, yeah, because I, I loved the Queer Bible when you first launched it. It's the Instagram account, and now it's the book. But like... What I think is really funny about um, being queer in any way is like, if you're like our our age, like uh, late 20s. I'm um, early 20s, but thank you. (laughs) um, Is that you are kind of, you know, not taught about it because it's literally in law that you can't promote it. Uh, But then when you do come out, you're supposed to know all this stuff. Like you're supposed to know who all these people like Peter Tatchell and all these amazing activists and all are and you I didn't at all and so then you're like how the hell do I learn this stuff and it kind of comes up with through conversation with your kind of the queer family you meet as a result of coming out and all of that but I always felt very excluded from that I always felt very behind I felt like I, I was supposed to know and I didn't know how to find out. But but another thing is like we lost a generation of of those teachers in the AIDS epidemic um those elders that would have initiated us into that world. And and plus, when I realised I was gay, like, I instantly felt completely cut off from everyone around me, from all those people that are supposed to give you identity and tell you who you are, like my friends and my family. And so I, like Mm. many young LGBTQ plus people, before the internet, it was still dial up then, I'm slightly giving away our age. Um, I I went (laughs) on... Shut up, Jack. You're supposed to be trying several. (laughs) 
uh, yeah, it was high speed. Um, <laughs> I, I then went off into the into the night, like the George Michael song, and like mm. to meet my community. I had to do it at nightclubs when I was, you know, I'm not going to lie, I had a lot of fun, but but I was probably a little bit too young and to be going out there. And I'm also, I'm not going to claim that I was going out clubbing to learn about Marsha P. Johnson. I was, I was going out for other reasons. Um, but yeah. but part of that is 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 that we do want to connect to our, our people. We do want to know where we come from. And I think for any marginalised group, to connect up to your history is such an empowering thing. And I think when you're a kid and you feel like you're a freak and you feel like you're different and you're told that you're different and you're told you're not worth anything, to know that actually you're descended from the most incredible human beings to walk the face of the planet, like the bravest, most beautiful, awesome people, that that would have saved me years of like shame mm. and depression because I would have felt connected to something bigger than me and better than me. And and the, this book, the queer Bible, is like me giving my gift, my, my gift, my tiny gift to the community. So is it free? It, it, it's it's not free. <laughs> There's no such thing as a free queer history book, <laughs> as the old adage goes. But but yeah. but this is my way of saying, especially to young queer people, like this is your chosen family. Like This is who you're descended from. And then I want them to go off and do their own research. And the stories give you that way in. You know, they're written by people, lo- lots of people that we'd know, big names like Elton John and Graham Norton and Tan France and Monroe Bergdorf. But then there are lots of people in there that you wouldn't have heard of. And you get these double narratives. And I hope that a lot of young people reading them will see themselves in those stories and feel seen. Yeah. I'd, listen, I massively had to Google a lot of the people who who people had chosen you know so to contextualize or you've asked people who you adore to choose someone who inspired them yeah and often the people who people chose were were people i had never heard of you know and i and i think it's important to say that because i think it's it's that back to that thing of like feeling like you're supposed to know i think it's fine not you know why should you know it was literally written in law that you shouldn't know this stuff yeah and i come to this as a very stupid male model so I come to this like with less knowledge than your average person. And, and I come to this really humbly to, to learn. And I didn't know about loads of the people. And I've, I've been blown away. I've learned so much doing this. It's been, it's been a, a real learning curve. So obviously Elton is kind of your headliner. and He's the headline um, act at my queer festival. Yes. And how did that come about? Well, I had met Elton through my previous life, I should tell. Tell dear listeners, um, I was a fashion model for years. I worked in the fashion industry. So I'd spent many years leading quite a shallow life where my only skill was standing still long enough to have a, a picture taken of me, which isn't a massive skill. And you were the guy with the beard. I was. The, I was. The, it was Jesus, Moses, me. Jack was. <laughs> Jack was the male model who was like, oh, the guy with the beard. I also, to my shame, I used to have a, a ponytail like a, a man bun, and Grazia put a picture of me in the, one of their lists saying that I'd popularised the man bun. So you know that really annoying look that everyone hates now of like a beard and a man yes. bun. <laughs> that was me. Who's going to tell Joe Wicks? Oh, I'm not. <laughs> anyway, Elton. So Elton. So I'd been at all these glamorous parties and at some of them, I'd, I'd met David Furnish and I'd met Elton. It was in passing. I was probably closer to, to David because when Elton kind of comes in a room, he often gets like whisked through, like some kind of shining show pony led through. And it's quite hard <laughs> to talk to him. But I had managed to have a few very funny conversations with him. And, you know, even though I was very nervous, he's an incredibly generous, funny kind person that puts you at ease 
And when I came up with the idea for the book, he was like my dream person to have in. Because one, I knew that he'd tell an incredible story, and he did. He wrote his essay about Divine, and it's hilarious and moving and everything you'd want Elton John to be. Um, But also, I just knew that the project was about putting people, as you said, that you haven't heard of, at the same Mm. level as big icons. Like someone like Lady Phil, who founded Black Pride, she wrote this brilliant essay, and I want her to be at the same level as these other icons. I want to shine a light on the activists who often don't put themselves front and centre and don't get the accolades that they always deserve. Um, So I knew that getting Elton in it would make more people read the book and then they'd learn about these other people. But yeah, it it took me a really long time to get him, like many, 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 many emails. And finally I got the call that I had 20 minutes to talk to to Elton. And um, I was told by his... I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying this. I was told by one of his people that I needed to speak to him on a landline. And I was like, I don't, no one has a landline. Like, I don't have a landline. Like, I was freaking out. And I finally just was like, why do I need a landline? And they just said to me, do you want to lose reception when you're on the phone to Elton John? Wow. And I was like, I need to get a landline. (laughs) Oh, I thought you were going to say because he was like a 5G denier. You know, no, people, no. Like 5G conspiracist. <laughs> well, Elton John burning down masts and yeah. stuff. He said, like, I don't like the look of it. It's like, yes, he did smash his body with drugs for 30 years, but 5G, he won't have it. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, so he chose Divine. Now tell us about Divine and tell us about his essay. Yeah, so, so he was really good friends with Divine. And if you Google image um, Elton John, like 70s, he met, everybody and there's an incredible picture of him on a night on the Raz, and it's him divine and freddie mercury wow and you look at the image and you're like what didn't they do that night <laughs> but divine was a drag queen right so yeah divine was a drag queen that was in john waters movies mm. divine was known as the queen of filth and she got really famous because in one of john waters movies she eats dog poo like real dog poo um, and she actually did it in real life. Wow. Yeah, it's it's disgusting, but it was supposed to be disgusting. And so Divine became this like emblem of punk rock drag. And this is way before RuPaul. This is like this is this is probably the first time a lot of people saw a drag queen, and they didn't see the elegant drag queens that we're used to seeing on like Drag Race. This was like a very curvy amazing woman eating dog poo and Ursula in The Little Mermaid is based off her. That's literally what she looks like minus the tentacles. It's Ursula yes. in The Little Mermaid. And so um, Sir Elton, I've just been calling him Elton this whole time. Sir Elton. I think you're, you're in a circle. Like he's my best mate. <laughs> e. E-dog. So E-dog was saying to me, um, EJ's great. So Elton wrote about the night that him and Divine go on the town together. Wow. And it's hilarious. I don't want to spoil it because I really, you need to read it because the way he tells it is genius. But they do something really shocking because they don't get let into a gay club. I mean, the fact that Elton and Divine get turned down from entering a gay club, I don't understand it. It was in New York, right? Yeah. So who was just in there? Just Liberace? Like, how gay do you have to be to get into that club? Like, what what was their door policy? But yeah, so they don't get let in and then they do something. I'm not going to spoil it. Um, And then Elton writes, it goes on from starting from being a really funny piece. It talks about the trappings of fame and Mm. about the loneliness and the addiction that can result in fame. And then um, EJ goes on to talk about 
the founding of the Elton John AIDS Foundation and the AIDS epidemic. And it becomes a really moving snapshot of a moment in time that I think a lot of people find it hard to actually emotionally connect to and really imagine what it was like. And and Elton does a really brilliant job of of describing what it was like to live through that era um, and mm. what that leaves you with. So it's, it's, it's basically what I love about that essay and a lot of the essays in the book is they sum up the queer experience. There's a lot of tragedy and pain and pathos and people searching for who they are. And they're searching through they are often through like through an icon or through looking up to someone or through loving a musician or a, a novel or a movie. And yet when they find themselves, there's this huge joy. And I think that sums up really what it is to be queer. There's a lot of pain, but then there's a huge amount of celebration as well. It's like, I don't know, I, I always think of Bronsky Beat, Jimmy Somerville singing Small Town Boy, and it's like mm. a banger, but it also makes you cry. <laughs> and I think that sums up to me what it is to be queer. 100%. That song, you know, obviously just strikes such a chord with so many people. And I think the book does that kind of thing really beautifully as well, that, you know, you'll have like a a story from Elton John, who everybody knows, and it's funny, but then it does move into bittersweet. But then also, you know, you've got like... Paula Akpan, who I didn't know who that was. And obviously that makes, you know, I'm like, must be a terrible person. But her chapter is about black British lesbians, right? So you get like, you know, the glamour and the fun and the silly, but then you also get some really good, really lovely... It's more of a history lesson, isn't it, really? Absolutely. And and what I love is if it was just that essay, the reader might not have such an easy way in, but Paula writes so brilliantly about her own journey and her kind of claiming her identity at the intersection of, of being black and being a lesbian. And, and, and that makes the history become so immediate and powerful and moving because it gives us a way in. It's really interesting. I was thinking a lot about identity. And Munro Bergdorf writes her brilliant essay about the film Paris is Burning, about the New York mm. drag ball scene. Have you seen that? Yeah. It's brilliant. Like it's so, it's, it's what we talked about. It's glamorous and tragic all at the same time. Mm. Um, and she talks a lot about the, the power of naming who we are and of claiming our identity. Um, and she writes this blistering essay. It's like almost like a magic spell. It's like an incantation. And then later, Mae Martin, the comedian, writes an essay that almost undermines the whole premise of the book because Mae talks about how, yes, labels are important. Yes, we need protections under law. So we need to categorize groups. Yes, we need to name who we are. But Mae Martin looks forward to a day where maybe we don't need to be labelled as LGBTQ+. plus. Maybe mm. we can be beyond the binary and just be us. And May ends that essay um, talking about Tim Curry, the actor, saying that May's sexual orientation is having an orgy by the side of the pool. And that's how they would describe their sexual orientation. And it's, it's brilliant. <laughs> a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. So May is the writer and star of that big Netflix show Feel Good for anyone who doesn't know who May is but they're so talented and funny and all of those things and Feel Good is really good but I didn't know who Tim Curry was or at least I thought I literally when I read Tim Curry I was like isn't that the guy who went to the moon who lives on the space station but then yeah he's gay I knew that outfit was good but but then Tim Curry himself or themselves I don't know what Tim Curry's pronouns were but was not was fluid yeah so that's what I love about the book so Tim Curry was the actor who's in Rocky Horror Picture Show and is in so many kids movies like the illustration all the essays have a beautiful illustration accompanying them and for Tim Curry's one we basically did top trumps of all his different characters from different films and you'd be like oh my god that's Tim Curry like and he has this wry, cheeky smile. You'll recognise him immediately if you Google image him. But, yeah. but the thing I love about the book is that you can't get across in an Instagram post or a 150-character tweet is we can really talk more about the nuance of identity. And mm. and our, I use the word heroes, but it always makes me feel a bit sick. These aren't heroes. These are like messy, flawed people that we can really look up to. And Tim Curry is so interesting because he never openly talked about his sexuality. I don't know what his, his sexuality was. I don't know what his gender expression, their gender expression was. I mean, he, he referred to himself as a he but for many people he is a queer icon and May's essay is so brilliant about talking about how inclusive the term queer can be and how it's an umbrella term that many people are, are welcome into so I like those problematic messy people because I'm problematic and really messy <laughs> um we're coming on to you in a second um but <laughs> what you're talking about is there's an opaqueness about these people who are sort of in pop culture and not. And I think that that is really interesting because Matthew Todd did his essay on Harvey Firestein, who I also didn't know who he was until I Googled him. And then I was like, oh my God, it's that guy from, he's the gay brother. So he's in, the brother with the voice like that from all the movies Mrs. when we were kids. In Mrs. Doubtfire. And these people were, these people were put in these, roles that they were never allowed to be the star they were really talented but and they could be gay but gay but funny and in the corner they couldn't be anything else and I I just think it's really fascinating to then read that essay yeah so he's he's like an incredible Broadway legend and and he wrote and starred in incredible plays fire song and um was basically if you're in the know was really one of the proponents and and pushes of, of gay culture and telling gay stories. And yeah, you're right. Like so many um, gay actors was always almost desexualized and put in the role of, you know, friend or sassy brother. Um, and he's one of those people that potentially could be overlooked. And I love the fact that Matthew Todd takes him as his icon and says, no, I want to put him on the same level as Elton. I want to put him on the same level as Divine. Mm. Um, it's it's like a beautiful tribute, really. And I think what's interesting about everyone that people have picked, if you think about it, that first person you see who you think is a bit like you, and that can be 
you know, you picked RuPaul, right? There's not a lot of lines to be drawn between RuPaul and your eight-year-old self or however old you were when you saw them, but there's something integral in that person. And because they are a beacon within a whole sea of other stuff you can't relate to, I think you feel it much, much stronger, right? Absolutely. I mean, I love the idea that when we were kids, we saw people that we maybe instinctively felt were like us, but without knowing why and not knowing how to name it. James Baldwin writes a lot about that. He talks about how we know before we know. Mm. And when I was a kid, I remember seeing Elton John performing the Kiki D song, Don't Go Breaking My Heart with RuPaul. And at the time, I probably, I didn't really understand sexuality, but I definitely probably thought that Elton was a confirmed bachelor ladies man. And RuPaul was just one of his latest string of girlfriends. Mm. And I didn't know that RuPaul was a drag queen. But at that age, I identified that there was something different about them. There was, you know, that, that glint in their eye, that cheeky look, that, you know, George Michael used to do that all the time before mm. he was out. There was this little nod to you. And when I was a kid, I didn't maybe know that that was about them being gay and, and me growing up to be gay. But looking back now, I'm so happy I had all those icons and those little, those actors in those smaller parts. Because now I look back and realise that they probably told me it was okay to be me. Well, also, I think it's, it, it, I think the way I can relate to that is like, what you're relating to that person about is beyond sexuality because you're you're younger than actually being sexually active and you know like it's a deeper connection than that actually and i think people get obsessed with sex when it comes to queerness and it's not really to do with that no i think it's about being an outsider hmm. and that's why i'm really proud that this book is called the queer bible and i'm proud that our community have have owned that identity and redefined that identity. Because for me, queer isn't about who you have sex with. It's about thinking differently. I think one, one definition of it could be that you just reject the patriarchal rules that get given to you, that, that tell you a woman has to act like this and feel like this and dress like this and a man can't cry. And for me, queerness, it's not about who you have sex with. It's about thinking differently and being free to really be who you are inside and that's what chimed to us when we were children. We were like, oh, these are people acting differently from everyone else. These are people who are unafraid to be whatever it is, mm. and whether it's, you know, glamorous or funny or sassy or different. There was just something there that we connected to. Mm. And so you wrote your essay on, on Rue. Tell us about the first moment you saw RuPaul and why you picked him. Yes, I picked RuPaul because his arc really neatly mirrors my own when I was a kid I was I grew up in 80s South London in Brixton in a vicarage my dad's a vicar in a small flat attached to the church and everything in my life was beige we had like beige carpet beige wallpaper peeling we had bran flakes every day I remember seeing cornflakes for the first time and thinking they were like gone off bran flakes and there was something wrong with them were they like frosties in your world you were like my god yeah I was like oh my god sugar yeah they were so glamorous to me cornflakes are the most glamorous thing I ever saw yeah until RuPaul yeah and RuPaul just like lit something in me similarly Cher did a similar thing I remember um watching Mermaids when I was a kid and being like whoa who's this creature yes Mermaids that film fuck yes and the doo-wop song yes if you want to know and and so like as a kid that felt different and maybe wanted a different life and felt sensitive and was bullied for being effeminate seeing someone that was using femininity and the fullness of that in its power and as a strength 
chimed with me. And I think that's why a lot, especially gay kids, gay male kids, really love divas because the thing they're getting bullied for is a strength in 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 the person they're looking up to. Femininity is empowering and amazing in its truest form. Mm. And as a kid, I was just taken with RuPaul. And then RuPaul's journey of being in drag and then now being accepted and also performing out of drag as RuPaul, the man out of drag, mirrors my journey where I put on a different type of drag. I put on like an anti-drag. <laughs> in my modeling career, I played, I was like a drag king. I was like playing at being a man. So I had my beard and my man bun as, as I confessed. And, and I was selling a very narrow type of masculinity. And on shoots, I was always encouraged to, to, to man up whatever that means. And I always looked very brooding on my pictures and I, I policed my mannerisms so I wasn't feminine. And I was told by agents to not talk about being gay. And, and I put on this, as Matthew Todd calls it in his brilliant book, I put on a kind of a straight jacket mm. of, of self-imposed toxic masculinity. And then as I released the Queer Bible project and now with the book, I've now felt free to be me and kind of take off that repressive drag i think rupaul uses it as a expressive type and I, mine was like a bad type so then now i feel like i can perform and, and and be me be jack out of that drag and so i feel like me and rupaul have kind of gone on a similar journey it's just the only difference is you know rupaul's rupaul and i'm me <laughs> but less you, money yeah but you know equally as glam um the yeah i mean you're talking about things that I think a lot of people listening can relate to and it, you do it for survival right don't you like so often I have conversations with people on this podcast where, where they talk about what they were hiding and it's like you can always track it back to sort of putting food on the table and you can you can say oh modeling's a shallow career or whatever it was your job and you were really good at it and if someone says to you don't be gay otherwise you're not going to get this job and you've got rent to pay it makes sense to lie you know and it's um it's really lovely to see that people are actually being able to step outside that in certain parts of the world in certain very privileged positions are being able to step outside that and they're not having consequences like they used to be even five years ago chris thank you for saying that because i do make a joke out of it a lot and i was like a kid i was really young and i needed to pay my rent and i didn't have any money and I, and that's what i got told and i did it and i mm. look back now and wish that it hadn't been like that but those were the options on the table and I made my decision. I remember I trained as an actor years ago. I'm not an actor, I never will be, but I, I, I did training. And I remember, remember I had a teacher, I've never talked about this, I had a teacher that always said that my arms were down by my sides. I couldn't express my arms like people do when they talk. Right. And, and she worked with me a lot on, on it. And I remembered when I was about nine or 10, I'd got teased and bullied really badly for being effeminate. And I realized that I was very expressive with my hands and I told my hands to stop moving. Yes. And I remember crying and saying to my hands, no, don't move, don't move, don't move. Mm. And it was such a metaphor for me about what we do to ourselves as queer people. I'd like killed a bit of myself. I'd killed a bit of my body. And I know this sounds really like insane and dramatic, but in that moment, I apologized to my hands. And I said, I'm so sorry that for the last however many years, I've not let you be and, I ha and I've killed you and I've stopped you moving and I've kept you down by my sides. And I said, I'm so sorry. You can like 
come alive again now. Like you can move. And in the next scene I did, my hands started trembling and they came alive and they started moving. And it was just, I know it sounds silly now, but it was, it was really magical and really healing for me. It's not silly. It's, I get it. You're constantly policing yourself in the harshest possible way. Well, the worst, the worst thing, f- I think, for queer people is when we do it to ourselves, because yes. that's when you feel such shame. Because you're like, not only have I been like bashed down by society, but now I'm doing it to my fucking self. And that's when, that's when like self-loathing and shame goes into overdrive. So I, it's a journey, but I'm really learning to claim my, my beautiful jazz hands. <laughs> Well, claim them you have. Any other funny stories you want to tell us from the book? Any other favourite moments? Oh, gosh. Let me have a look. Um, Graham Norton's essay is so funny and moving. Again, um, when Graham said that he'd be part of the book, I wrote him this incredibly long, sycophantic (laughs) email that I never, ever want to read again. And I'd known him for a while, but not, you don't really know well, anyone well enough to ask him to write an essay in a book. And, and I wrote him this really long email and he just wrote back, yep, I'll do it. <laughs> that was it. And then like two days later, I got this essay that was oh, wow. about Armistead Morpin who wrote Tales of the City. And I know Graham's a very funny human being, but I had no idea what, I know he writes novels and he's such an incredible writer and everything that we love about him on TV, he puts into his writing Mm. and he writes about growing up gay in rural Ireland and how he didn't come out because he had no one to be gay with. So he would have just been gay riding alone on his bicycle or gay sitting alone watching afternoon television. And it's so funny. And then he, he writes about going off to, America and basically finding himself and going to San Francisco. He lands on gay pride. He literally lands on gay pride, which <laughs> is the gayest thing. Ever. And I had a very similar experience when I was a kid. I remember going running away to New York and I arrived at, on gay pride day. And it's, I think they must sync it up for us when we go over there. <laughs> like another, another person from Europe's coming. Put gay, gay pride on. Coming. Yeah. Cause Graham's got such a lovely lightness of touch the way he writes and it's very much in there. But also it's interesting about Armistead because Armistead, has obviously been on this podcast listeners if you haven't listened to it go back into the feed but Armistead famously was extremely right-wing question mark from quite a homophobic family and was very right-wing and then had this complete vault fast and completely changed his ways right he had like an epiphany yeah a gay epiphany a queerphony no a queerphony <laughs> no that sounds too much like queerphim um <laughs> Yeah, but that stuff like that makes me so hopeful because, you know, you look at the world and you can get really depressed about people seeming so entrenched in their opinions. And then I look at the progress that I've made in my life and some of the relationships that I've had and and seen great personal change and growth in myself and others. And it's lovely to think that people can go from really right wing to happy, out and gay, proud, writing iconic queer literature. It's lovely. Yes. And are we talking about you or Armistead Morpin? Um, Armistead Morpin. (laughs) But, you know, listen, I, you know, for those listening who don't know Jack, Jack has often been in the press as being like various really famous people's best friend, like Alexa Chung's best friend. And people love to say that you're dot dot dot's best friend. And I think there's a real listening to you speak. I think there's a really interesting parallel for your personal story of how you got here with this book is that you weren't enjoying that anymore, you said, right? And the modeling and stuff you want to do something that felt a bit more nutritious and that's why you started queer bible right something that you felt was more had more meaning 
Absolutely. And I think a lot of people have felt that over the last year, we've all been questioning our lives. We've all been doing life inventories and people have been like, do I want to live where I live? Do I want to keep doing the job that I'm doing? We've all had a moment to pause and stop. And I love my life. I love the career that I've had. It's been incredible. I'm incredibly grateful for my privileged position and all the fun things I've done. And I ironically wouldn't have been able to make this book if it wasn't for that life because mm. I got to meet amazing people. I got to make contact. And with the small, tiny platform that I had, I was able to to do this book and, and shine the light on other people. And for once, it's not about me selling clothes to people. It's about me passing the mic over to other people to tell their stories in their own voices. And that, to me, has been the most rewarding um, part of my life. And it's also, looking back, I sometimes used to sit thinking, like, what am I doing with my life? Like, <laughs> I'd be in a changing room on a shoot, being like, what am I up to? Like, this is great, but is this all it is? And now I look back and I'm like, oh, that's why all that happened because it was leading me up to this moment so I can do this project and share these people's incredible queer stories and share that with everyone. So that makes it all worthwhile and gives it meaning. Not that it was awful, I had a whale of a time. No, but you know, you, you spoke earlier about the sassy friend and that was the role that gay men did. So I was the sassy friend. And I feel like you were the sassy friend and that's a great, what a fun role to play and you played it really well. So you were always the sassy best friend. Oh my goodness. This is like, my therapist should be ashamed for never having pointed this out. I want my Sack money back. Them. Yeah. I'm going to send an invoice for 10 years worth of therapy. I was the sassy friend and yeah. now I'm in the leading role. But I'm not really even in the leading role because now it's more like I've written a script for other people. But you've been able to express yourself in, and not in, in relation to others. And that is the role that often queer people get put in. You know, we're talking about fashion parties here. These are lovely problems to have, but it is, it's about playing roles. And I think that is relevant to everybody listening, that we just do that stuff because that we're like, oh, well, that won't get, you know, if I do that role, everyone will like me. And if I don't really show, express myself, but I'm funny, then no one will hate me. And Absolutely. Matthew know. Todd, Matthew Todd, who, who writes the, the brilliant essay on Harvey in, in the book, in Straightjacket, he writes a lot about how we grow up being told that we're worthless so of course we're drawn to bright, shiny things. Like, of course I wanted to go and be a fashion model and hang out with glamorous, famous people and wear designer clothes because that was my way of telling myself and everyone else that I had worth. It was like, I'm not nothing. Look at me, look at me. Hmm. And our journey as queer people is to move past that, take off some of that armour that quite rightly we probably put on to protect ourselves. I certainly did. To take off that armour and move towards a place of fuller identity and really showing people who we are. And for me, this has been a terrifying experience because, you know, I'm not hiding behind Photoshop and clothes and at a glamorous party standing next to whoever. This is me really making myself vulnerable. But that, I think, is, is a really worthwhile journey for, for all of us to go on. Absolutely. 100%. You've really blown my mind, by the way, with that thing. And we aim to blow minds here. Wow. <laughs> Everyone come on this show. It will change your life. <laughs> Wasn't that great? Let us know what you think. Let me know. Let me know if you get it for someone for Christmas. Hello at homosapienspodcast.com at homosapiens on Instagram. Go and have a look at the Queer Bible on Instagram as well, which is just Queer Bible. The delightful Jack. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us. Loads of love to you all. See you next time. Bye. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.